welcome to another episode of Sailor Stacking, the podcast where we talk about the 1990s Sailor Moon anime, and we have a yummy stack. Hopefully yummy. I'm Jen, and as always, I'm joined by Tracy. Hi, listeners. Uh, so Tracy, why don't you tell us about this week's snack? So this week, we are going to have delicious mochi ice cream. So hopefully, it's a better experience than your experience with the just plain mochi because inside of the mochi is a delicious ice cream snack and the kind we have today is dairy free so um, Jen will enjoy it even more so great yes. <laughs> and we don't know what flavors we're getting because they were all just in the box but the individual packets weren't labeled so we're guessing <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like ice cream roulette which is my, the best kind of roulette, really. It's the best kind, yeah. <laughs> uh, and today we are joined by a brand new guest. Uh, we have Tara. So welcome to the podcast, Tara. Thank you. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about your history with Sailor Moon? Uh, yeah, sure. Um, so I obviously, like most of the Western world, uh, watched it originally with the Deke dubs. Um, and I, I, I love that most of the Western world. Yes. Yeah. But <laughs> I think that's fair. We've all seen it. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, you, you, it makes it sound like everyone's seen it. And I love that. <laughs> I, I'm sure some people experience just the subtitles too. Um, or other dubs because there are subsequent other dubs that were done differently, mm-hmm. shall we say. Because uh, oh, no, I, I just meant it sounded like everyone and everyone seen it like young, old, male, everyone female, everyone in the Western world. <laughs> everyone in the Western world. That's why yeah. I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah everyone. Um, although I, I am showing it to to my five year old daughter specifically, even though it's probably not the dub to show, uh, only because I'm rewatching it specifically to contrast to the subtitle. Um. And so she's actually really enjoying it. Um, I will awesome. say the, the strongest part of the Deke dub is the um, the, the music. Um, yeah. Absolutely, the music is is the best part. I, I do. I, there's many things I question about, like some of their episode choices, because they did take out some episodes and they did keep other episodes. And I'm like, why would you keep that one versus this one? Yeah. <laughs> Right, uh, you know, like Slim City versus the Beach episode. Anyway, yeah, we had a big long conversation about that when we had that episode. <laughs> yeah, like, so there, there's definitely some some questions that I that I have about their their choices, um, and and that does tie into some of my my uh, uh, overall impressions of the the the, the Deke Dub versus subsequent iterations. Um. But I, I still enjoyed it, obviously, very much at the time, and I still enjoy it now. Um, I actually, I preferred the subtitled and the the more than the dub at the end of the day, um, mostly because some of the character characterizations were were very different, mm-hmm. uh, and that's but that's uh, kind of getting into a lot more. Uh, you know, like how some of the the, the characters are presented. Because yeah. um, I, for me, the first subtitle I saw um, was actually Sailor Stars. 
And I jumped from seeing a handful of episodes of, like, I think season two or three. Um, so not seeing any of the Outer Senshi. Or really? eight, wow. maybe, maybe seeing a little bit of the Outer Senshi, but barely, to seeing everybody. <laughs> yeah, that, that's quite the jump there. To see everybody. <laughs> a lot happens. <laughs> to, to seeing the, the, the straight-washed version, <laughs> right? Where oh, nobody... Yeah. Nobody's gay to seeing like the 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 extremely not not hiding their relationship. Yeah, uh, you know, like so from from going from one to the other. Um, so I will say the person who was showing me the tapes found it extremely distasteful, and I've never watched them again. And I was like, wow, I want more. Yeah. Oh. The end of stars. I always say the the end of Uranus and Neptune at the end of stars. That episode makes me cry so much when they're reaching for each other, and I'm like, oh, it's sad. <laughs> I, I, honestly, stars. I love that part. It is it, my favorite season, hands down. That is the the best. My favorite villain is Zoocyte, and it's interesting seeing. Zoocyte being portrayed as both genders, watching the two different yeah. versions. So they're they're an interesting character across the board. They've got um, you know, uh, differing motivations, like deeper motivations, and I they're the villain that because they appear. And I'm using they only because they get in this right now. I'm using they because yeah. in because they're portrayed in both is both genders, and I'm I'm yeah. using it as a generic because I'm I'm speaking in both instances because yeah. they appear um, earlier in the series when um, Neflite slash um, what's his other name. I'm getting Masato really, something. Yeah, Masato. I'm getting confused with the Maxfield. Maxfield Stanton. I love that name. It, it is a good name. <laughs> um, so so uh, they appear well earlier because they they kind of come in to antagonize the other villains. Yeah, yeah. Zoisites really is is the first kind of villain who shows up and has. Uh, an antagonistic relationship with the other villains. Cause with Jedi, it was just like, it's Jedi. And then you get Nephrite and Zoysite pretty much at the same time. And the whole time you have Zoysite just picking at Nephrite, trying to get him to screw up. Yes. And I, I kind of like that. And, and, and the fact that they're, they're witty and they're challenging and they're constantly challenging everybody. Yeah. Not, not just the people that they're supposed to be challenging, but but they're uh, they're they're ostensible allies as well, and and I enjoyed that, um, and and so it's interesting because I speaking to uh, somebody else, they turned me on to the the Viz dub because the Viz dub. Uh, kind of has, uh, uh, or, or rather, I'm going to check out the Vista because they've described the portrayal there as um, like uh, kind of a sassy gay man. So I, I, I have to admit, oh. 
kind of. They said not quite, but sort of in that vein. So I kind of feel like I have to check it out now. Um, like in terms of how the 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 English portrayal is. Yeah, um, I, I wouldn't really. Not not quite sites. not quite the vibe that she's. Yeah. More like snappy snappy gay man. Yeah. But she says that they do a really good job. So I I kind of feel like I have to check it out now because of that. Because she said that they did a really good job. Um, yeah, well, that's good. It's better than completely changing their gender, like, from one to another. Yeah, like, so Viz, I, I... In the Viz dub, you're saying that Zoocyte is still male. Yes. Okay. So that's where it gets, like, it's interesting because... Uh, yeah. So the only one that has, in fact, changed the gender is is the, the original. Yeah, but they did oh, that okay. with. Well, they didn't change genders, but they did that with uh, Haruka and Michiru, Uranus and Neptune, and made them cousins, which yeah. I found distasteful awkward. and awkward because it wasn't that okay. It wasn't distasteful that they were obviously in a lesbian relationship, but it was distasteful to me because you had like obvious intimate scenes that are visually very intimate and romantic and then one of them is like hey cuz and then I'm like so So, incest is okay so now they're kissing cousins yeah (laughs) and that that's the part where that made me go like because I'm like that like why not just leave it as it was And and I did a little bit of research, and those are so those two examples of straight washing are in fact only the most visible ones. There's more. Yeah, they're just more subtle because, or they were less relevant. Wow, well, when the, we when, yeah picture when we get to Fish's eye too. That's that's another one that they. Yeah. I, I don't remember they made Fish's eye female, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. So that's another one that they swapped. Um, so it, it's a thing that they they that Deke did not all the time, but often enough when it got awkward, and and I think ultimately that's why uh, they they never touch Sailor Stars in particular because it's like yeah, that one would how do you deal with that at all? Yeah, in a, in a way that's gonna make sense. Yeah, they they would not have been able to fix this. Well, I used the term fix you know, not that it needed to be fixed, but um, yeah, the starlights would have just been, they, they would have probably watched that one. Yeah, no, we, we can't. <laughs> yeah. Without completely changing it, I guess. Yeah. Taking them out, which you can't. So it's like, yeah, there, there, there's no way of getting around that particular um, around them. There's no way of getting around them and there's no way to change those characters or make them appear um, palatable to people who are homophobic or potentially transphobic, depending on your point of view. Yeah. Um, so yeah, absolutely. And so that's why you know they they could get around the the gay characters by as you know gender yeah. swaps or or uh, relationship. Swaps just made it mm. creepy ones at that. Yeah, Um, super creepy. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so uh, uh, Zoocyte is is a definitely one of the more, in my opinion, fascinating characters and and the 
most fascinating villain yeah. in, in the first season. Um, in my regard, anyways. And not just because of uh, uh, the, the fact that Deke felt compelled to change their gender. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's almost like Zoysite is the first <clears throat> real villainous villain. Because Zoysite is not only uh, trying to find the silver crystal for the barrel and the great ruler, but also is against the other generals. So it's like she's, she, sorry, I'm going to accidentally say she and I apologize in advance, but they are. Um, well, like, it really just depends on which which version you're referring to. Because I, 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 yeah. if you're referring to the Deke dub, then it's, it's appropriate to say she. Because yeah. in the Deke version, she was female yeah and if but if you're referring to any of the other ones as far as i'm aware um because i like i said i've come uh you know in both of the 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 v's versions um zoocyte is a male and in the other ones and obviously the original one zoocyte was males then it would be appropriate to refer to him as he i prefer to say in the broad sense they just to acknowledge that um that they have been both. Yeah. See, for me, I, I often slip and say she, because I grew up with the Deke dub. That was the first exposure. So that's what I'm used to. And then when I'm just, you know, speaking quickly, it just slips out and I try to catch myself and say they or he, but yeah. So that's why I'm like every once in a while, I'm like apologizing. Cause I mean, I mean to say something else and it just comes out. So yeah, I, I probably slip to they mostly because I'm 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 watching more of the or I'm trying to watch more of the the the, the subtitle at this point, and I'm yeah. used to the 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 masculine male version, um, and uh, no, not that there's anything wrong with the the f- female. Um, presentation either i mean i think that the the um the voice actress who portrayed suicide in in the, the deke version actually did a a, a good job oh so yeah yeah I, I have no beef per se because it was obviously not her making those decisions yeah um you know so um you know like that was obviously done on some corporate level where they were like oh you know kids don't want uh you know most poor parents don't want (laughs) well yeah realistically but they they the the way that they usually phrase things though is you know for the children though it's never from that perspective right yeah i mean that's just how things go it's always for the children because when when uh, uh, trust me (laughs) it's always for the children it's it's never because of uh, uh, it's never the parents themselves uh, that that are are usually mm-hmm. uh, fighting against these things per se. They they try to phrase it in such a way that they're doing it for the sake of their kids. Yeah, they don't want their kids exposed to those things. Yeah, exactly. I think it's really for, to sell more toys. well of course that's what all cartoons are in general is just to sell toys (laughs) and it works because i have a large toy collection (laughs) yeah there's that too uh you know that's absolutely a factor Um, as i play with my toy moon stick 
which is appropriate for today's episode. It is. I love this moon stick. All right. So what we will do now is uh, we'll get into our two episodes for this week. So we are watching episode uh, 25, Jupiter, the powerful girl in love, and episode 26, Restore Naru's Smile, Usagi's Friendship. Oof. And these lots of stuff happened in these two episodes. These were like story packed. Yeah. Yeah, lots of first appearances and yes. first mentions and a lot of history and, like, wow. Uh, so we'll start with uh, Jupiter, the powerful girl in love. Um, overall impressions of this one? Uh, Tara, do you have, like, an overall impression of this episode? Uh, it's a, I mean, it's a great episode. Uh, I mean, I've I've always been, uh, Jupiter's been one of my favorites, um, Sunshi. I mean, of the inner senshi, she's probably my favorite. Yeah. So I, I like I like her introduction. I mean, it's it's a little it's much faster than the other senshi. So because uh, I mean, generally speaking, we in terms of the the course of the season, we don't get as much time to get to know her. Mm-hmm. Um. So that. Was- pack everything in all at once all of the personality (laughs) yeah so so we do we do have to kind of get to know her really quickly but um i i mean overall we get we get to you know so they they do have to kind of how to put this uh they they kind of have to give us a lot really quick yeah so we, we get to see um a really intense granted she's a really intense character so that's kind of part and parcel with her anyways um so it kind of works for the character it kind of works with the overall uh um uh the overall uh picture i guess you know with, with how we should we should meet the character anyways right yeah i think I mean, I tell me if if uh, if you think I'm wrong, but I, I think that that's I think it's kind of how we should how we should be meeting her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is, I is, think it's um it's, uh, it's interesting that it worked out that way, but I don't know if they did it on purpose <laughs> <laughs> with this first season just kind of being like kind of all over the place. And we've talked about it in some earlier. episodes episodes of the podcast how there's like some filler episodes and then a lot happens in some other episodes and it's because the the manga release um was i think behind the show but i mean like let's i mean it did work out really well so let's go with that (laughs) i think the whole uh the whole subplot of the of the rainbow crystals is not in the manga and i think that they had to create these episodes to give the manga a chance to catch up um, which I that that, which, that makes sense. Yeah, um, you know, I'm, I'm with you there. That makes a lot of sense that they would be doing that. Uh, you know, but they also needed they also needed to, to at some point deliberately insert Jupiter in there. Yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. So I mean, there there had to be a deliberate action and choice of bringing her in. And then we also had to, 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 you know, to do it in a, in a, in a very, um, you know, in a very Jupiter way. Cause again, I mean, most of the characters are, are very intense in their own ways. Um, don't get me wrong. Um, 
you know, even even Amy's intense in her own way. Yeah, when you get her real really riled up, she can mm-hmm. be quite well, intense, which is it's nice. Like her intensity for most people is subtle. Yeah, right. And that's the thing is people miss it because it's in, it's it's more of a uh, mental thing, right? Yeah. Like it's more of a um, a thoughtful intensity. Yeah. Where, so it's really miss- great. Sorry, it's really great. The uh, Deke title for this episode is called Jupiter Comes Thundering In. And I think that's very appropriate for the way that she comes into this episode. Um, especially like that first scene where she beats up those guys in the street. Like she yeah. really just comes thundering in. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that that's the first part of her personality that we see is that she's the, the, the strong, brave, tough girl. Yeah, but that's almost kind of like part of her character as well. Um, I mean, aside from her falling in love with everybody, (laughs) everybody. (laughs) Well, I I mean, yeah, for Mako, it's it's she's got like the she's kind of like a a yin yang kind of a thing because she's. part feminine, part masculine personalities, I suppose, because she's got the strong, uh, she's a fighter, she's strong, she's brave, but then she also has the the more delicate feminine side of she likes to cook, she falls in love, you know, she's, and she's, she's really her whole personality, which is what makes her an interesting character, is that she's got both of these together in one personality, which usually when you have cartoon characters and anime characters it's one or the other they have a hard time bashing the two together and i think that especially in makoto they do a really good job of that yeah she's like really well-rounded yeah she's still like that 14 year old she's like a lot taller than the other girls um and stronger but she's still got the that like boy crazy kind of 14 year old girl kind of vibe going for her so yeah, she's I think that still that's a really nice. yeah, yeah, and I I love the way that she kind of competes. Um, I guess that's more in the next episode though with uh, Ray because yeah, <laughs> they're both very strong personalities. Yes, well, and in 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 some ways, even even though we don't, I don't think we see them clash too much. Oh, they do. Um, yeah, <laughs> they, they do clash, but not not classically as much as Sailor Moon and and Ray. Right. Uh, yeah, like I think Ray clashes with everybody at some point, yeah. uh, just because of her personality. Um, and to a certain extent, I think Jupiter is probably the next most likely to clash with people, just because she's the the next most intense. Um, yeah. But she doesn't have Ray's confidence in herself. Like, Ray is extremely confident. And Mako is confident, too, but just not at that same level. Well, yeah, but I think it's also her confidence lays elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, is part of it, too, right? Like, because Ray's confidence lays in herself. And I think that with with um, with, with Mako, it, it's her hers is more like in, in her abilities, like mm-hmm. the fact that she can cook, the fact that she can beat the crap out of somebody, the fact that she can, um, and, and so she has that confidence, but it's not necessarily in in her. Where, uh, and, and so there's a subtle difference in where that confidence lay. 
Mm-hmm. It's all, almost a little sad because you start to like, even in that first episode, you see like why she might not have that confidence in herself. And it's because a boy broke her heart. Um, and I think that, you know, it's subtle in her confidence, like her lack of confidence in herself, but it's also very clear that that's where it stems from. Like she was in love with this guy and he broke her heart and she sees him everywhere in every guy that she meets. Which is kind of a, adorable for a fourteen-year-old, I think. Yeah, and kind of relatable too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for that first love, the first lost love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, absolutely, and and I think that that, um, I mean, I, I think that they were they were also in relation to the the, the manga. I mean, they I think that they were also trying to tie certain aspects of like the characters traits to like um like the the astrology and all that and i believe there are ties in there with how um that there those signs are supposed to behave i've oh. never even thought of that oh yeah considering it's like all about astrology oh i've, it, I've never it, considered that because i've never really been into like the signs and astrology but it would be interesting to see that connection if I knew more about it. We should get someone on the episode who really knows a lot about astrology. It, no, no, it, it's it's big because it's it's a it, it, that's part of the reason why they always make that emphasis um, about like when they were born and, and what sign they are. And, yeah, yeah, it's and very I mean, big in in Japanese culture. It, it's mm-hmm. big in Japanese culture and, and and what blood type they are. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and your birthstone and all that stuff. Yeah, it says a lot about your personality. It's it's which is very interesting. It's about their personality. And then there's also the being the tie between her and, and the fact that she's physically larger than all of the other senshis, you know, like because Jupiter is also the largest planet, you know, like yeah. they're they're creating a lot of parallels between between all of these things, right? Yeah. I I love that very part where... deliberately. <laughs> they first where where they where Usagi first introduced Mako chan to uh to Ami and Ray and, and she's sitting down and then when she stands up to say hello, both of their expressions is pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Ray and Amy, they're like, oh, hi. Hello, hi, nice to meet you. <laughs> Aw, poor I feel bad for Mako sometimes. Like she's got this intimidating presence that she doesn't really well, she uses to her advantage, but I don't really think she wants most of the time because she's. This is why she has such a hard time with like people like falling in like Crane Crane Game Troll Joe, who's a big jerk face, who's like, I don't like giant girls, and I'm like, oh, yeah, screw he's you, you yeah. mean. <laughs> um, so backing up a bit, we have a lot of firsts in this episode. So like way back at the beginning of this episode, we have the first appearance of the Great Ruler. We don't have her name yet. We know because we've all watched Sailor Moon that it's Queen Metallia. Um, and we learn why the Dark Kingdom actually needs the Silver Crystal, which is the first time I think that we've had any mention of why the Dark Kingdom is gathering energy and why they're looking for the Silver Crystal. They know that it's for the Great Ruler, but they don't really say um, like why the Great Ruler needs it. Where is the Great Ruler? So we've got that first coming in. And mm-hmm. it's also... The big thing is uh, we hear about the seven great monsters who are sealed in the rainbow crystals, which we mentioned is not part of the the manga. Right. Um, but it's still a really, I really like this little plot that they slide in here because it's a really kind of like, uh, it almost makes finding the silver crystal more like a mystery. Like, ooh, who, where is it? Who's got it? 
it, it just makes it a little bit more interesting, I think. Yeah, I yeah. definitely love the Rainbow Crystal episodes. Like they're the best of first of the first season. They're mm-hmm. very interesting. Yeah, yeah, it definitely adds like a, a new layer to the season as well. Where before, you know, um, in a weird way, it, it was kind of like X Files, the Freak of the Week thing going on. Yeah, the Monster yeah, of the Week. No, yeah, yeah. And there's always something gimmicky happening in town. Yeah, <laughs> the new We're, clock store that's opened up, or the new gym that's opened up, or the new, and yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, not that these ones don't have that element but at least now there seems to be an actual the, the, like <laughs> well i mean yeah even when when we had the introduction of neflight there seemed to be more goal and driving behind this but now that's even more intensified with 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 these ones right where there seems now we can actually see a purpose behind it like or more of that purpose right and why they're doing it as opposed to, you know, before it was like, okay, they're, why are they doing <laughs> Is there a reason? It makes me wonder what Zoysite's been doing all this time because Zoysite's mission, Jedite and Nephrite were supposed to be collecting energy and Zoysite was supposed to be finding the crystal. So she's just was, been antagonizing people. Yeah. What's been, Zoysite been doing? <laughs> she's like, she has no idea what's happening. Like, Queen Beryl had to tell her, like, here, we've altered this crystal to help you find the rainbow crystals. Like, she was doing nothing before this point. She was like, I don't know, hanging about. I'm just going to piss off Nephlight as much as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah or maybe maybe she knew that they, their, their um, missions were going to be concurrent anyways. Oh, Maybe. Like, I mean, it wouldn't take much of a, a, a genius to figure out that the, the energy missions and the people who were going to be exhibiting a lot of energy, because that's, that's where he was targeting, right, might be running parallel to, you know, the likelihood of finding these crystals, maybe. Um, yeah, that's a good no, point, because knowing Zoysite, Zoysite's probably like, you know what, I'm just going to watch what Nephrite's doing, and if a crystal shows up, or the crystal shows up while he's doing his job... Great. <laughs> Less this work for me. This is the first episode we hear about a rainbow crystal, though. Like, this yeah. is Queen Metallia is telling Queen Beryl, hey, to find the silver crystal, you need to find these seven rainbow crystals. So this is the first time we've heard that the silver crystal is in pieces, pretty much, right? So I guess yeah. she's, like, just been looking for a crystal that doesn't exist, which is exactly. kind of sad. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I was like, what's Zoe Spike doing all this What's she been doing? I don't know. <laughs> or maybe this is the first time she's been given, like, well, if this is the first time they've been given that direct directive or information, you know, uh, maybe she had, a, or he had a different goal? No, the goal was set out in the episode where we got yeah. Max Beale Stanton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, still the best true. name. Maxfield Stanton. Maxfield Stanton. I, I like he- I like hearing it with like Molly's like Brooklyn. Maxfield Stanton. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like the fact yeah. that people just accepted him showing up everywhere and being like, "Hey, you should be doing this." And yeah. I feel like 
and nobody's questioning like who the heck are you and why are you here because they did they just blindly accepted this guy showing up out of nowhere being like oh you should wear this it looks beautiful on you (laughs) it's like who is this guy and you should (laughs) smile more (laughs) <laughs> right there's that theory that if you show up someplace and you act with confidence people will assume you're supposed to be there and nephrite was a pro at that <laughs> i i guess so i guess so i just I, i'm gonna say i would be weirded out with when, when somebody just walked up to me and started doing stuff like that personally that's me especially but in I, his I, first I, episode with the tennis ball where he jumps over yeah. like a good six foot tall fence with his hands in his pockets his and it's pocket? like i'm gonna teach you how to do tennis and nobody <laughs> says anything. And, 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 and it's teach you how to do tennis. And That's again, it's who is this guy? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. You got you got a. He was a bit gutsy. I like that, right? Yeah. Uh, but but then again, I guess I suppose it's like well, he must be an athlete. He can jump over a six foot tall fence. Yeah, maybe Obviously. he knows what he's talking about. Exactly. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I suppose it, I, I, it's just, it, you're right. I mean, it is a weird plot element to, to have you know, Queen Metalia just show up and go like, oh, by the way, the thing that you're looking for, remember remember that thing? It's yeah. really, it's, it's in pieces. I'm sorry. I know you've been doing this for probably months at this point, but... <laughs> just a heads up, it's actually in pieces. So when when I was rewatching this episode, um, and if you go to the Sailor Moon fandom uh, dot com, I'll send you guys the the link so you can look at the pictures in the bottom if you're interested. Um, Sailor Moon fandom dot com wiki. So the 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 scene where she's giving the energy to Queen Metalia, and it's like that big red kind of like cylinder i guess with like the that her energy is in her grace fog is in i never thought of this before but i'm wondering if it's like that chamber that they put prince endymion in later on and like she metalia is is the fog and they're giving her energy to reconstitute some sort of body for her is that's what's happening i i think so well it's the energy wakes her up but um the silver crystals what's gonna give her more power isn't it that's what it seems like so but right now she's just basically that gray fog she's not a, a physical being oh and, i thought right? she's the red thing no i thought she was the gray fog inside the red thing and the red thing is like what's protecting her and holding her together and they give the energy to the fog and then the fog she'll from that she'll use the energy in the silver crystal to become like make a body for herself Gotcha. Oh, I think. Does that make sense? <laughs> I, I I think you're you're on the right track because I, I I think that I I mean I think that that's why in the Deke version they just refer to um they just refer to it as the negaverse and and like yeah she's just like the negaverse. And the Negaforce yeah. is like some sort of incorporeal entity um, rather than as, as a person. Yeah, because she never gets to form into a person. They defeat Beryl before she gets a chance to. 
Yeah, so I, I think I think you're kind of in the right neighborhood with that. Um, I guess we'll get into it when we get closer to it. But I was always like, I never, I never put the two and two together. But that's what it looks like to me. Like it's the same kind of coffin that Endymion gets stuck in when they're brainwashing him, sort of. Right. Yeah, you you you, you could be in the in in the right in the right track or at least the right um thought i i, I can't disagree <laughs> it, 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 well no yeah I, I i mean it's it's really hard to say what their intent was yeah um so it's definitely possible that that's For my sure. theory i'm sticking to it okay. we'll see if it pans out <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah like i i i, I it's, it's definitely possible i, I i'll go with that I mean, I'd have to see more to be convinced, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, but I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah. If that's fair. It's as good a theory as any, right? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. And, and it kind of makes sense. So, like I said, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying no. <laughs> <sighs> uh, okay. What else is happening in this episode? Um, Do you want oh. to talk? About the moon stick. So we see yeah. the moon stick for the first time. I love the moon stick. I think the moon stick is my favorite Sailor Moon uh, weapon? Tool? It's not really a weapon. <laughs> it is a weapon. It kind of. I mean, it's more like a magic wand. Almost, like a healing wand. Yeah. It, yeah. I liked in the dub they call it the crescent moon wand. And I like that better than calling it the moon stick. <laughs> yeah, me too. I I'm think like, it is more of a wand. It's a pretty. I, I have to. I have to give that. You know, like as much as Deke definitely dropped the ball on so many things. So many. <laughs> uh, some of the things that they did do, they they did come up with some really good crossover um, names for some of the objects or. Even the the transformation sequences, um, some of them make a little bit more linguistical sense mm-hmm. from, you know, because I, I know that, that Japanese love to throw just random English words, you know. Yes. Oh, yeah. We get some fun and, Sailor Moon attacks coming up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like my, you know, uh, Sailor Star's gentle uterus attack. Star gentle know. uterus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that that one forever sticks with me. You know, it's like I get what where where you're coming from, but wow. Well, I mean, uh, like Sailor Moon gets uh, what are the other real ones? Moon gorgeous meditation, starlight yeah, honeymoon like, therapy kiss. Like those mm-hmm, are fun yeah. ones, and you're like, what is this doing? <laughs> Yeah, what does any of this mean? Nothing. Uh, yeah. It means nothing. <laughs> yeah. So it's a magical incantation. Just yeah. leave it. They're pretty sounding words. Just like you know, in English, we throw in random Latin words to make something sound mystical. In Japan, they throw in random English words, and they're <laughs> nice words. They're pretty words. Yeah. They just don't make any so, sense. I kind of get it, but at the same time, I also kind of go, you know. <laughs> Some of it, you know, like it would just, it, I'd almost, I, I'd almost prefer if, if in the English 
dubs they 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 made it japanese <laughs> yeah they, oh they, just like go backwards like they flip and, it they flip it yeah that'd be interesting that'd be hard to pronounce i think but especially but, when you're you're throwing your tiaras at your friends growing up but anyways <laughs> so yeah. speaking speaking of attack names um Sailor Jupiter's first attack, she says Supreme Thunder. And I don't know if you guys caught this, but after she does Supreme Thunder, Sailor Moon looks at her and goes, Cream Puff Sunday? <laughs> I, yes. think, I think that's what Sailor Moon heard when she said Supreme Thunder. <laughs> yep. Cream Puff Sunday. I was wondering what that was, but yeah, that makes sense. She's always thinking about food too, right? And I'm like, that would be such an awesome Sailor Jupiter attack. It would be. <laughs> Puff Sunday. Oh, yeah. Sorry, that was my little digression. Um, no, that was perfect. I love that the the moon stick Sailor Moon's got her new power now, and she can heal. Because before, like all of the senshi kind of have attack powers, except for you could debate Mercury, who's got more of a um, defense I defensive think. power. Like yeah, that's, the power. that's the word I was thinking of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's true, and it and it's helpful to have it um, something that's that's not just um, uh, an attack ability. Um, so we're it's good to see an extension of abilities that's not solely attacking, uh, and it definitely comes in handy later on episodes, if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically at the end of the sh- the the. The show uh, or the the season, yeah. And uh, I, I think as we go on, her attacks get less and less attacky and more and more healy. <laughs> yes, sure. yes. Well, I think it's more like they're relying on on the the senshi to do the like the work, the attacking, like the the weakening of the enemy, and her to kind of keep them going. Yeah. Well, like her job with the moon stick and the moon escalation healing, no, moon moon healing healing escalation escalation is to give the people who were monsters their lives back, right? You can't really, like, destroy them because bye. Well, yeah, you can't kill people. Yeah. But but even later on in in Sailor Moon R when she's, when they're fighting the, uh, the sisters... Um, I forget what their names are. The Akiyashi sisters or something like that. Uh, I could be getting that totally wrong. She, I don't know if she uses the moon stick or if she's got a different power, but she does use her magic to heal them instead of um, defeating them, mm-hmm. which I like. Like yeah. She gives them the choice. It's like, I can either defeat you and kill you, basically, or I can heal you and you can become a normal person. Yeah, to be fair, it's it's nicer to see that because there's definitely a lot of ambiguity in in some of the other ones where you're like is she killing people (laughs) Mm -hmm. but yeah it's more like she's saving them right yeah and And i think it's really interesting after this whole nephrite situation because you can see that even the most bad of the bad guys can be swayed with chocolate parfait But you know what I'm getting at, right? Yes. Like he he was able to become good, and he's um, like the yeah. first like bad guy that we see that that's possible. 
Yeah, I think that might actually, that that well, part might actually change Sailor Moon and the Senshi's kind of perception on the evil that they're fighting. It's like, yeah. oh, well, maybe well, maybe we don't have to destroy them. And I think that's why it's also important that we have the villain of Zoocyte next in, yeah. actual, in actuality, because Zoocyte is, in fact, a largely irredeemable villain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Suicide's really great, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I quite like suicide. I mean, that's part of what makes Suicide great, is that they are irredeemable. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that's that's why they needed to be the next villain, because we, we've learned, oh, wait, look at look at Netflight, look at look at Netflight, and, and, and the fact that, you know, there was some you know, for lack of a better word, humanity there, there was some, some, you know, he was, he was redeemable. He was, there, there was good. There was, you know, something there. They, they weren't just monsters. Mm-hmm. And then, and then we go on, we move on to, um, Zoicide and Malachite, the, the pair. And I, they do have, I think some in so much as their, their relationship, I suppose could be viewed as a, as a, perhaps a, a redeeming factor. Um, so don't it's get not me. a very healthy relationship, though. No. Um, but the fact that they can have one, however dysfunctional it is, might be viewed as, as one, so I'm not going to necessarily knock it altogether. Um, but the fact that Zoicide is, by and large, like just so unabashedly like such a terribly villainous character is is what makes them so great and that's what i love about zoicide is that it's like you know i'm gonna be bad and thumb my nose at you you know and and enjoy it i'm gonna commit 100 percent to this <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and that's and and honestly that's what i that's what i love about that you know about that villain is that is that um is that they're like a hundred percent there. There is no hesitation. They're like, no, 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 I'm, I'm here and I'm going to do everything I can to be the absolute, like worst. Nice. <laughs> well, you know, everyone's got like different, different levels of intensity, right? I thought you were going to say everyone has got different life goals. <laughs> also that too. Right. I mean, like don't, Everyone's got different life goals. I totally get that. (laughs) Uh, So there were a couple of changes uh, from this episode in the Deke dub, um, and as in what's listed on SailorMoonFandom.com. So according to the Deke, according to that, the Deke dub has one of the girls explain that Crane Game Crane Game Troll Joe or whatever his name is donates the plushies to poor children. But in the Japanese version, uh, he collects them for himself. He does not strike me as the type of guy who would donate the toys that he cheats to get to children. I don't know why they needed to make him redeemable. Um, They also, in the Deke, they say the onigiri that Mako gives Usagi, uh, they translate it as either homemade muffins or a chocolate chip cookie. Hmm. Interesting. Mm. They yep. well, they do that often. They like I said, they make um, weird choices for um, some of the things that they do. And like I said, there there are definitely points where, like, they change um, tea into coffee frequently. 
Um, or so there's there's big decisions that they made, like the straight washing, like the and snack then, decisions. And then there's little decisions where it's like, is that really something that you think someone's going to pay that much attention to? Whether the character's having coffee or tea, and why is a why is it un acceptable for a 14 year old to be having tea but it's okay for them to be drinking coffee like because of yeah. starbucks but anyways <laughs> this episode um, of sailor moon is brought to you by starbucks by starbucks no i'm just kidding i wish it was brought to us by starbucks then i'd be drinking some mocha frappa chino we know but then but that's the kind of decisions that they were making right like yeah i guess they were trying to make it more western and, yeah, and and that's sure. obviously the, the the what they were doing is they were trying to make it seem less, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> less foreign. But but then there's there's big cultural things that go on in it that you cannot get around. Yeah, I mean, and like if anything, they should have had the kids drinking like pop, but like I guess exactly. they're drinking yeah. coffee exactly. tea or like cups, or, or, or juice. Or, yeah. Or, yeah, exactly. So why why make a coffee tea? Except I guess it was obviously a hot drink. But then why if not make it like had C plus in a teacup? You're not living. <laughs> yeah, but I'm I'm assuming it was it was like obviously a hot beverage. Oh yeah, it could have been hot chocolate, right? Yeah, that but then that's what I was saying. It could have been right? hot chocolate. So this, you know, these are the decisions that they were making. Where, where I, I question like the choices that they make. Where it's like, why wouldn't you just make it hot chocolate if you don't if you don't consider tea an ideal choice? Why would you make it coffee? I mean, I, I, I just I wonder like if you have to change it. Like, why do you have to change it first of all? But yeah, well, I like in North America the concept of going out for tea was not a thing in the 90s. I think it is so now with stores like David's Tea popping up in malls, but like you if you were like going out with your friends, you're getting one of those mocha whatever from Starbucks, right? What did you call it? A mocha frappuccini? Yeah, a mocha <laughs> frappuccini. I don't know. <laughs> I, I love uh, mocha frappa weenies. Um, <laughs> Everyone does. Uh, I, I, I honestly, I don't. I, I mean, I, I, I drink black tea and black coffee. So, um, yeah. um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I just, you know, again, it, it goes into some of the, the, the bizarre decision making, especially when they can't get around the fact that there were definitely cultural aspects uh, um, like things that were happening culturally that were visible so like that- when i was a kid if i was watching um motoko give uh usagi a rice ball i'd be like what the f is this like i'd be like really confused um so it makes sense that they would change it to something that's relatable to a nine-year-old kid in North America when they're doing the dub. I don't, I just see that's, that's to where I'm like, I don't know if kids really think that deeply about it. Cause I, I can say, honestly, as a young kid, I watched jumping Jack flash. Do you, do you know that film? It's a, it's a film with Whoopi Goldberg when she was a young, younger comedian. 
Um, as a kid, I watched that and I watched it a lot. I remember it as being one of my favorite films. And then I watched it again as an adult. And I was honestly shocked, shocked at the number of F-bombs she drops in that film. <laughs> okay, like the language. Like I remember the overall plot and, and a bunch of other things about it. Um, but like seriously, the, um, the, the, the film. So I, I honestly think that you uh, as a kid, you don't necessarily pay attention to things that you don't focus on or care about. Yeah. It just goes right over your head. If the snack's not relevant to you or important to you, you're going to miss it. Um, If the language that Whoopi Goldberg was using, the hundred F-bombs that she drops in Jumping Jack Flash was not important to me, I didn't catch it. Yeah. No, I remember watching some movies with my family when I was younger, and a lot of the more adult jokes just went right over my head, and I'm like, I don't get that joke. Oh, well, moving on. Mm-hmm. And it like, you don't think about it when you're a kid. You're just like, eh, okay, keep going. The movie's kind of still fun. I still get what's going on. Right, I guess. But, yeah, so, uh, I, I mean, and even if you did see her eating a rice ball, because it's like, how do you explain all the other cultural um, like, because there are other that, things happening that are strictly very much Japanese culture happening. Well, I mean, in like, how do Ray's, you explain Ray's priestess outfit is a good example. Like, like the, yeah, the Shinto yeah. priestess, like, that's very much Japanese culture. Yeah. How, how do you explain that to yourself? Yeah, especially if it's, like, such a especially for the Western world, which is very, very Christianized. It's like, how do you explain? I mean, explain? she goes to Catholic school. I would yeah. out. She goes to a private Catholic school, which is, like, terribly ironic. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but... She's, she just believes in many faiths. It's fine. <laughs> but that aside... <laughs> mm? But that aside, the, the fact is that the, it, it is it is there's a lot of very much Japanese culture on display in that show. So the fact that they're changing whether or not she's having a rice ball versus a cookie is yeah, tiny. It seems insignificant. Yeah, yeah. And I like I don't know if if it's probably harder to change a whole outfit and a whole storyline than it is to just change a cookie yeah absolutely it is but i'm also questioning whether or not it's important to change a cookie when you've got a whole oh absolutely not but they're trying to make as many changes as they can to appeal to a western audience within you know like within what they're able to do like anything that they can scrub, they do. But if they can't, then... I, I feel like what you're trying to say is within reason. And my point is, is it's it reason? not? It's not within reason. It's within their editing capabilities, really. Yeah, but 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 again, it's like so. But my thing is, you you could say within reason. But it, my question is, is it reasonable to be doing this at all? That's what I am saying. Is it reasonable to be doing this at all? Like, what what is the point? Is there a yeah. point? That's what all I'm getting at is I don't necessarily understand the reasoning behind it 
or the point behind it when it is such a small, relatively small detail that if a kid does pay attention to it, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like trying to disagree with you because some kids probably would notice it and go, huh, I wonder what that is. I would definitely have watched and been like, okay, so how do I get me one of them rice balls? (laughs) Is that a bad thing? No, it's absolutely not a bad thing. Um, Yeah, I would. They did. They did make some strange decisions when they translated it, right? I would say that Sailor Moon is probably one of the reasons why I'm so interested in trying different snacks and foods from other places. Yeah, I mean, like I think that's how we ended up with the show Sailor Snacking. Shall I grab onto this segue? (laughs) Sure. Let's do it. All right. So that was episode 25. Uh, We're going to have a little snack break and then we will come back with episode 26. Tracy, do you want to tell us a bit about what this week's snack is? Yes. So this week we have mochi ice cream, which is kind of like a Japanese American hybrid snack. It was invented in the 90s, so the, it first came out in 1993 in the United States, which is kind of interesting because, like, that's when Sailor Moon came out, so we're kind of like, you know, they were invented at the same time, which is kind of cool. So the Japanese-American businesswoman uh, and activist, her name is Frances Hashimoto, and her husband kind of came up with the idea, and then they were released in 1993, and... um I think they debuted in Hawaii, which is kind of cool. So the frozen treat was so popular, it captured 15% of the novelty frozen treat market in its first four months. Very cool. So pretty much what it is, is the mochi, which is like pounded sticky rice, is stuffed with ice cream and then you freeze it. And you get a delicious, wonderful dessert. So... I think what I have, I think what I pulled out of the freezer today is, um, I want to say black sesame and I'm hoping mango, but I'll try it. What flavors did you guys get? Um, I pulled out pink and green. Okay. <laughs> I'm thinking I think strawberry, strawberry and, matcha. And, and matcha. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So I had, um, I'm uh, sharing with one of my daughters. So mm. I just tried a little bit of the strawberry and the green tea. Um, and, um, well, I have a, I have a whole range of flavors here, so we'll be sharing. I have to admit the, um, the mochi is interesting. It, it adds a, a different texture to it. Ooh, I like it better frozen. Hmm. I like to like let it out a little bit. And so the ice cream kind of melts a little bit. So you're just I probably like, should have done that. <laughs> so you just like suck it out of the mochi. It's really good. Anyways, mm. I'm just so used to eating them in really hot summer climates. So I don't think I've ever gotten a chance to eat them like really frozen. <laughs> no, I like the ice cream version a lot better than the the not ice cream version. Maybe it's just because I love strawberry and that's the one I'm eating. But these oh, are really I think- good. So I just tried the black sesame flavor one. It's really good. But I think the other one I grabbed ended up being passion fruit. It's hard. It was like, there's eight different flavors in this box. Mm. And then there were like two yellow ones, two kind of like darkish color ones that I couldn't tell were chocolate or black sesame. But I mean, they're really good. 
So that means the other two that I have are chocolate and mango. Sweet. Probably. (laughs) I just had the vanilla and I think passion fruit. And they were pretty good. And these ones are made with coconut ice cream. Rather than regular plain old dairy ice cream. So that's kind of neat. Good for me because I'm lactose intolerant. Mm -hmm. You can probably get a whole (laughs) box of these. So what's everyone's general impression? The matcha one's not as good as the strawberry one, but it's still pretty tasty. It's definitely better when ice cream based. Than just like the plain mm-hmm. mochi itself. It is like mochi is very, it's just like a, a ball of sticky pounded rice, right? So, But this is less sticky pounded rice and more ice cream. Which and I more like. ice cream, yeah. Like last time it was a lot of sticky rice and just a little bit of goo inside. Mm-hmm. And this one is like more... Ice cream. It's then. mostly ice cream. Yeah. Just a little rice on the outside. Which is I much mean, better. It's, a, it's an interesting texture. I, I I mean, it's enjoyable. My daughter likes it. <laughs> She's eating it. She's picky <laughs> about texture. Yeah, glad that she likes it. Actually, yeah, that was pretty good. I'm going to enjoy eating the rest of those because Brent says he doesn't want to try them after <laughs> his last mochi endeavor <laughs> where he just popped the whole thing in his mouth. And was like, oh, it's like chewing Play-Doh. It is pretty chewy <laughs> if you just eat the whole thing. Yep. I was like, no, you're supposed to bite it. Oh, it's too late. <laughs> too late. Oh, I quite like that. That's a nice little refreshing treat. And I like that they're individually packaged so that you can just have one if you're feeling really warm. Just to cool down a bit. Mm-hmm. They you don't necessarily need to. come in different sizes. So sometimes a little bit bigger uh, than that. But the ones we got. They're about two bites, two or three yeah, bites. About the size of a two-bite brownie. Mm, that was actually very refreshing. I like those. Ice cream for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Well, I had a granola bar technically for breakfast, so <laughs> this is my breakfast dessert. All right. Well, we'll add that to the to the sailor snacking ra- rankings. Uh, I don't know where I'm going to put it yet. I have to think about it for a minute. So that brand we got, I think, is called Buono. Bueno? Oh, yeah. Bono? 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 Yeah, Bono. All right. So we'll get back from our snack break into episode 26, Restore Naru's Smile, Usagi's Friendship. The latest episode in Naru's traumatic experiences. <laughs> yes. So I did a count last episode. Uh, so this brings it up to, what, 12 episodes in the 26 where Naru has had some sort of traumatic experience? Yeah. Poor Naru. Now. <laughs> yeah, Naru gets beat up. Uh, uh, both literally and not. Kind of, I, I do genuinely feel bad for her. Yeah, so do I. I think we had the debate last time. It's like, would would all this stuff have happened to her if Sailor Moon hadn't, if, if Usagi hadn't been Sailor Moon? Like, or would she, I wonder if she still would have ended up being targeted in some way. For a lot of them, yes. Yeah. Because right? it just, she just happens to go to that school and she just happens to be in that city. Unless, of course, no, I guess we talked about how if Sailor Moon was in another city, all those things would have happened in another city. Yeah. I think 
she would have been targeted at least somewhat. Um, it's just, I think it, it would be more of a question of how much. Yeah, because there's a couple of episodes where she was a part of it just because, you know, she was at the school or... Like, the very first episode, her family is targeted specifically, but then a lot of them are just like, you know, I went to the gym and got my energy drained. I was in the talent show and got my energy drained. Like, it was just things that she chose to do, not because she was friends with Usagi. Um, Yes. This episode's really weird because the chances that she runs into the one person who has the rainbow crystal in her was, like, really, really small. So he's, like, a random priest in a cemetery and the only reason she's there is because she's sad that Maxfield doesn't have a grave somewhere. Um, so like the, like it just seems that one seemed very, very random. (laughs) Yeah. Coincidence plays a huge factor in this show. (laughs) I, I, I mean, to be fair, a lot of them are like that though. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. you can a lot of them kind of feel that way where it's like oh you happen to know the person who happens to be the you know the 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 groundskeeper for this et cetera et cetera you know it's like that's an amazing coincidence keeper of the park that was a huge coincidence that amy was like oh yeah i know him i hang out at this park to study um but yeah the fact that Molly gets involved is kind of sad coincidentally. <laughs> well, apparently there's not very many people in, in Juban district where that the only people who are attacked are the ones that the sailors said she directly know. <laughs> yeah. It's a small but it's also, a small Japanese town. <laughs> TV show. Like you exactly. need to do something. <laughs> right. It, 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 it's 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 the murder she wrote syndrome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I mean, what else do you call it? It's it's yeah. It's well, that that exactly. kind of phenomenon, but it it describes it accurately. Are the I murders think, happening because like she's it, writing about them, or <laughs> yeah, is she writing about them because they're happening? Ho ho. <laughs> I think what's really interesting about this episode um, Mm -hmm. is they're really questioning Usagi's leadership. Uh, Mm -hmm. So she gets them the moonstick in the last episode. And Luna says she does it to try to, like, inspire her to be a leader. Uh, But they're pretty much just sitting around saying, like, should we decide that she's a leader? Oh, and I love that Ray is like, I don't think she should have the moonstick. She's just going to use it as a hammer. Cut to the scene of Usagi using it as a hammer. Using it as a hammer. <laughs> and I'm like, yes. That is, you called that, Ray. <laughs> but I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean she's not going to be a good leader. Right. But she often doesn't take things very seriously. And that's kind of like, that's almost like her tragic flaw, maybe. Uh, because... At the same time, uh, Makoto calls her and is just like, hey, we're having a really important discussion. Can you come meet us? She's like, no, I'm going to Chinatown to get some delicious food. Bye. But I think it's not that she, I think that it's just that she has different priorities. Like in that moment, she finds it more important for her to be with Naru and cheer her up and take her to Chinatown than it would be to go and sit in the shrine and talk about something that they have no control over. So Mm -hmm. 
I mean, she does. She should have explained that a little better to yes. her friends. <laughs> but she's not good at explaining things, and we no. know that. <laughs> but I, I think that honestly, in that instance, like, I think that she made a good call. Like, she shouldn't say, like, what's she going to say to Naru? Oh, sorry, uh, my other friends want to talk to me, so I got to go by. When yeah. Naru was like, I'm going through this trauma, and I need you to be there as my friend. So. Right. I feel like she made the good call. She just did not explain it well. She didn't explain it right. (laughs) I know, and I get that. She did make the right call, but when she's like, they're debate. I guess she didn't know that they're debating whether or not she should be the leader. And because she doesn't know that, she doesn't feel like the need to be there. Exactly. Yeah. Like I think that, and it's also like, it's she's also trying to balance her 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 life as SNC versus her her actual life against each other and the, a they're they're not aware of the her trying to find that balance obviously yeah. um, I mean that's that's one thing yeah but Which is like hard. the rest of them don't really have a lot of friends outside of Usagi and each other so they like they don't really feel like we, we know famously that Ami has no other friends. That was her whole shtick. Mako just showed up and Ray has been this aloof priestess that probably doesn't like, she's like on a pedestal at her school. She doesn't really have any close friends. So Usagi's got two groups of friends that she's trying to balance while the senshi just have themselves and they don't quite get that Usagi's trying to do both. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. That's a good point. So, So there is, there is that dynamic that she's trying to balance like two sides of, of her life and um, they're not necessarily seeing that. So there, there's that factor. I think that they're not quite getting or seeing. Um, and then there's, there's the leadership angle, which I mean, they're not wrong. <laughs> it just no. seems really Sorry. random that Luna's like, hey, I don't believe in her and I don't trust her, but hey, let's make her the leader. It that doesn't seem like a logical choice for Luna. Other well, than she was it's there first. I've been noticing the way that Luna is portrayed in the two in the Deke dub versus the subtitled in is very different. Yeah. So in the deep dub, they portrayed her via voice and other characterizations. By and large, they try to portray her as older and mature and, uh, you know, maybe not knowing what was going on, but definitely older and mature and and in charge. She was the mentor. She was the mentor, the guide. Yeah. She was the mentor. And in the subtitle, I don't get that impression. I get that she's young, that she actually has little to no idea of what's going on either, and is kind of making it up as she goes as well. Um, yeah, I think you so know, too. She, she's just she's just got a slightly bigger picture of what's going on versus the others. Yeah, um, but even she doesn't have even, a complete picture yet. She's yeah. just kind of, yeah, I think, yeah. remembering and, things and, as things and, and are you, going on. And, and and you get a kind of a, a better kind of capture. And it makes more sense in a lot of ways in terms of the, the, the larger narrative that she is inexperienced. Because, like, in, in particular, 
going back to like the the episode of Some City when she's kind of making fun of of Usagi for gaining a couple Usagi. pounds. That makes yeah. sense if she's inexperienced and, and a little young and and all of that. That makes more sense than if she's uh, this mature figure because right. you know that kind of behavior really doesn't make sense in that in that narrative where if she is you know an inexperienced young uh, you know theoretical commander or or whatever whatever you want to think of her as um like lieutenant of sorts then that that makes more sense and yeah. so in this like where she's like a, a a lieutenant of sorts where she's trying to um to to be the liaison between um uh you know the the you know her contact or her leader and this group, however you want to view it, um, then she's, you know, but she's not very sure of her position or herself and she needs them. She needs one of them to be a leader because obviously she's a cat. (laughs) Right. Um, I mean, really then, you know, she's more of like an advisor, I think. Yeah, like, I, I don't know, like, she seems to be kind of this liaison advisor, like, she, her role's kind of, kind of hard to, to describe, per se, because I, th- I feel like if she weren't a cat, she would probably take on a much more integral role, but she's, she's limited because of her lack of her, ability to yeah. actually do more. And she's kind of like, like the... I was going to say, it's interesting that Luna in uh, the Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon, the live action Sailor Moon, when she becomes human, she is portrayed as a child. Like she's Chibi Moon's age. She's she's like probably about 10. So I think that you're probably onto something there, Tara, where she is definitely not as old as the Deke dub made her seem to be. And I honestly think like her whole mission was find the moon princess. I don't think that she was expecting to be like, oh, I got to deal with all this other stuff too. And like you said, she's just making it up as she goes along. Mm-hmm. And I, I, honestly, I think that her her actual role is more like liaison. She's just yeah. there to to confer the information and and to pass it on. And then yeah, it's, and that it's was her role in the Moon Kingdom up too. To, up to the leader of the group to actually take that and do something with and it. And do something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't think she's even arguably an advisor. No, either. And she's I mean, look like at the group she like, got stuck with. <laughs> I know she's more like information yeah, like, collector. I don't think, yeah. Yeah. But it, yeah, exactly. Like she's not, I, I don't think she's, she's a, she's a liaison and, and she, because she's, uh, uh, because she is what she is, like a cat, she has the capacity to to do and get places where they can't. Um, and and she can be a spy of sorts. So she's, you know, like she's an asset, but she's oh, yeah. not. Being a cat makes not, it really easy for her to like slip in and get information. And we see how useful that is in a lot of episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So I, I definitely see where, where, and so her being like, you know, oh, I don't think she's, a, you know, like a leader and all that. I mean, that's just, I think, her opinion coming in, um, you know, like and her kind of her her personal her personality of like this, you know, 
for lack of a better way of putting it, like her attitude and her, because like I said, I've already said she's she's not necessarily that mature advisor. She's just a, um, she, she's this liaison and this asset for them to use. She's not yeah. anything else. And it probably wasn't so, her role in the first place to become the leader. So she's also like, great, there's four of you now. I don't have to try to guide you anymore. You can do it yourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. As the group yeah. gets bigger, too. Well, I, I also kind of wonder if, like, she might have been taking on more than she was supposed to. Yeah. And, yeah. And, I think so. I think they really rely on her too much. Um, so she has had to take on that role. But she's the only and one so with it, 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 any information. Yeah. Like, yeah, she's it, coming to it, them it, well, and talking that, to them about the rainbow crystal for the first time in this episode. Which I'm curious where she got that information from. And it's interesting that it's coming at the she same time. She got it from time. Artemis. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but we don't, yeah, we don't see that, right? We didn't even see that. Because it's the same time that uh, Queen Beryl is getting the information, too. So no one's really in the lead here at all. No. And I mean, I've, I've, I don't think that, I think that, like you said, Luna's figuring it out as she goes along. I'm fairly certain that her mind, her memory was wiped when she got sent to Earth. Of course, yeah. Um, and so she's just like, oh, now there's four guardians. Great. Jupiter, you're the fourth guardian. Hooray. Not knowing how many, well, she probably maybe at this point is starting to get a vague idea of how many there are. And, you know, it's like she's starting to remember things more about the silver crystal and about the princess, but still not enough to identify Usagi as the princess. And I think maybe it's tied in with the rainbow crystals that the more crystals that they get, the more Luna's memory is a little bit unlocked. And then when the crystals form into the silver crystal, that's when things just like click and she gets it all. And it's really interesting because everyone's kind of getting, not everyone, but like, um, Mamoru starts getting more memories too. So like in this is the episode where he's yeah. like, oh hey I'm Tuxedo Mask. Uh, and he makes that connection as well. Yeah, this is a big episode for him yes. where he finds out who he is and uh, we start to see the fact that now there's three factions after the Rainbow Crystals. There's the Senshi, there's Tuxedo Mask, and there's the Dark Kingdom. And at this point, the Senshi don't know how much of an ally Tuxedo Mask is yet. Because they know that he's after the crystal, but they don't know exactly why. They know that the Dark Kingdoms are is bad, but they're like, Tuxedo Mask is still in that gray area. To everybody except for Usagi. <laughs> well, I think Usagi and Rey are, you know, they're kind of boy crazy about him, but Amy for sure is like, yeah, there's something not quite adding up here. And Mako doesn't go boy crazy over him in this episode, does she? No, she doesn't. Does she see him? No. No. Because she kind of arrives after he does his saving of Sailor Moon. Yeah, okay. I couldn't remember if they they managed to get in touch, like, meet each other. No, I also really like that we get to see um, Sailor Jupiter and Sailor Moon in two episodes back-to-back just kind of doing their thing. Yeah. Because... Yeah, because we didn't really get that too much with Amy. She was kind of like in, and then we get the next Sailor Scout right away. Yeah, I think there was like one episode yeah. of just the two of them. Yeah. And yeah, we get a couple. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the monster in this one. I love Boxy. Yeah. 
He's such an awesome design. Lovely punch. And he has, like, there's not too many male monsters in this show. Um, the last one, Game Con, which was just, he just kind of looked like um, a guy from a, mo- from a video game. So he was like, meh. But Boxy is pretty awesome. And it always makes me think about why a priest would turn into, like, a vulture. Yeah. <laughs> I, you say vulture, I say, like, weird chicken man. But okay. Or a weird chicken man. Yeah. <laughs> Vultures, like, I don't know. It sounds so, like a better bird. Yeah. Than chicken man. So according to the, the Sailor Moon wiki, uh, it said Boxy is a priest that becomes a boxing-themed villain. This may be a reference to Father Karras' character from The Exorcist, who is a priest that boxed as a means of exercise and stress relief. I've never seen The Exorcist, so I have no idea. Gotcha. But he is a fun villain. And uh, I was watching this with Karina, and uh, I was joking with her that she should get her husband to dress up like this for Halloween. <laughs> I don't like, know don't how put many... ideas in his head. <laughs> I don't know how many people would get that reference. That's what she said, too. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, it's one episode, but... Um, you know you're a hardcore fan when. <laughs> when, yeah. Like, dress up like that, and then come with us to the Pretty Heroes convention. That would be the best. Yeah. <laughs> Well, just like I was like, I should dress up like Tennis Ball Sailor Moon. Nobody, I wonder how many people would get that. I love you, tennis. At the Pretty Heroes convention, everyone would get that, I think. But, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but that's, that's kind of like, I think they get the Sailor Moon, and then the, the tennis ball is just, like, on top of that. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's referencing a specific episode, but episode. The Sailor Moon, yeah. I think, would stand up on its own. Yeah, yeah. So this episode's also, I think, the beginning of a kind of romantic relationship between Naru and Umino. Because, well, Umino goes with Usagi to cheer up Naru, even though he has no idea why she's upset and gets punched a couple times, which I think is hilarious. But then yep. he goes with them to Chinatown. He ends up saving her from uh, the villain's attack. And at the end, Naru uses, which I think is gross, but uses the bandage that she's been carrying around that used to be nephrites to wrap up Umino's arm. And I'm like, did she at least wash his blood out of that? Like, No, it's really gross. Totally gross. And I feel like Umino saving Naru seems a little out of character. I think it does too, but I think like this is him trying to get some character development. I think that he, he's always kind of had a crush on both Naru and Usagi more on Usagi but I think like he's had more interactions with Naru as a friend and I think that the friendship is growing which is sweet Mm -hmm. makes him a little less creepy he does interact more and and more healthily with Naru yeah like his interactions with her are more normal and healthy than his interactions with Usagi yes for sure it's definitely less creepy because, mm-hmm. like, to Usagi, that's what, that's Umino what I, is, like, that creep, that creep. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's yeah. that creep, yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like, his interactions with her, while not always good, don't get me wrong, his interactions with Naru are not always good interactions. Most of the time, they're they're reasonably, well, they're not always normal either. But, <laughs> but most <laughs> of the time... Normal for an least, an- anime, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's a fair fair point. Um, In that nothing is really normal in an anime. (laughs) 
Yeah, again, you you raise fair points, but I mean, yeah, and and I mean to be fair, they use, they often frequently use him as a as a, a plot device to explain the plot. Yeah. So there's that too, um, like he'll explain um, things that are going on um, by explaining it to the girls, and yeah, sometimes yeah. in a creepy way. So or explaining it, you know. So there's that that factor as well sometimes. Um, and I get that, um, cause he's like, uh, he, he, he is frequently used in the, in the first season, um, as, as a, as a plot device to, to, oh, ex- for sure. you know, to explain as things. an exposition point. Yeah. As an yeah. exposition point. Right. So he's I get kind that. Of like and the I, computer that you point at something and he'll tell you what it's about. Like the Pokedex in Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> this is the this is the new girl. She exchanged from another school from fighting, right? That's because that's he's got in. his creepy notebook where he writes down everybody's secrets, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, like gossip time. You know, and it's like, oh god, <laughs> why? He writes down um, all people's secrets and the teacher's measurements. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but I think exactly. he starts to get away from that a bit more now because he's he's more focused on Naru, and so he gets away from his creepiness. He still use, is used, like you said, as the uh, explain what's going on guy, but I think he gets yeah. less creepy, maybe, mm-hmm. hopefully. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you, you, yeah, I think it's uh, that's fair. But like, so the thing is, is that he he's important because he serves a function. Um. And so it, it was, you know, as much as it was kind of creepy that he was doing these things, it was kind of necessary in a way, although they could have done it in a less creepy manner or probably found a less yeah. creepy way of doing it. Oh, yeah. But I think it was just typical of anime at the time. Um, I'm, I'm not trying to say it was okay, but, um, or say that it's fine. I'm just saying that that, it was typical. Oh, yeah. Um, and we've talked about that before on other episodes. Okay. Yeah. Hey, okay. You know, f- fair enough. I'm just, you know. It's, so, yeah, it, there's nothing right. good about it, but it's very typical for anime. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it, exactly. It's like, I, I'm not. Yeah, exactly. Like okay, the creepy so grandpa. We, like the creepy grandpa trope, which we see with Ray's grandfather, right? Yeah. Like, the creepy fair old man. Enough. Again, it's time and time again in tons of anime. Um, so yeah, <laughs> just Fair enough. you know, they're the little yeah. things that make anime fun and make anime anime. Yeah. Um. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. I I actually legitimately own Ping Pong Club, so um, I I I both love and hate that kind of thing. I don't know if I time. know what Ping Pong Club is. <laughs> I don't know whether to be. I don't know whether to take it a look or not. I don't know. Now I'm googling it. It just just suffice it to say all of those tropes, but dialed up. Okay. Oh dear. Now I'm looking at pictures of it. Is this one from the '90s as well? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> so yeah, and I don't know well, if I should I'm... be proud to say that, but I am saying it. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, everyone's got their vices. One a little later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I also own Puni Puni Pomi, so my humor leans that way. <laughs> shall we say? Um, 
in in the the and just leave it at that. Um, <laughs> you more towards like the magical girl anime, like well, obviously Sailor Moon, but I'm like I love Card Captor Sakura. Like I go for like the sweet innocent and sometimes not sweet innocent magical girl anime. Uh, Pre Tear is a good mm-hmm. one. Um, I, I, love, I, like, I like that. I, yeah. I, I don't, don't, don't get me wrong. I don't, no, I do like, that. like that. I'm just saying that's where my, you, you're skewing more towards that humor and I'm skewing more towards, that's where I skew I'm, towards. I'm saying that's where my humor goes yeah. is, is yeah. to like bizarre humor, like Excel Saga and Puni Puni Poemi and Ping Pong Club, um, where it's just weird and bizarre. I'm sure there's others, but those are the like those are the ones that I have. I I mean I don't necessarily watch a ton of anime because my my wife is not a huge fan, so most of them are older. Uh, I mean my favorite anime is Slayers, so I mean, yeah, that's, that's dating. Slayers one. is good. Yeah, it is a very old one though. So oh like, maybe that like, should be our next podcast could be Slayer snacking. Slayers. Yes. <laughs> And it works too, right? It, it works so well with that one. Although you'd have to be doing mostly savory things with that. Oh, for yeah. sure. And it's the, uh, you know the obsession with food in Slayers is hilarious. It's huge, huge. I don't think I've seen all of Slayers. I I've seen a good chunk of it, but I don't think I've seen the whole thing. I well, yeah, because they because they've added two seasons. Hmm. Recently, like semi recently, like a couple of years ago, they added two more seasons. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, I definitely so, haven't seen it then. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I, I there, own most of it, I think. I just haven't watched it. There's five seasons now. The, the last two seasons were shorter than the previous three, but oh, I haven't seen still it, five. the newer ones. Yeah, they're pretty good. Um, they're, they're not bad. I, I enjoyed them. Um, because I definitely you know, watched Slayers like, in like the in the nineties, like late, late yeah. 90s. So that that would be the original th- three. Mm-hmm. That would be the original three, and then they they did another, really one. Because <laughs> it's like two <laughs> half seasons. It, yeah, essentially they're thirteen episodes a piece. And do you do you know? I mean, this is kind of one heck of a segue, but do you know? <laughs> Do you remember how the first season was alphabetical? Each episode started with a letter. No, I didn't notice a, that. A, B, C, D, E. Okay, so the, each each episode of the first season started with with the letter, and oh. ended started with A, ended with Z. Z. I never know. Oh. So, okay, well that that was the thing in the first season. So the 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 season four and five started with a b they did the same thing again um except but ended with z so and so the first one did one you know a through i guess m uh i think and then n through z for the last 13 depending on how you view it it was definitely intended to be even though they're two seasons they're definitely meant to be together Mm -hmm. cool so back to sailor moon (laughs) um what else do we have to say about this episode i mean oh we get the locket um yes the locket comes up in this episode i love that locket they haven't made a proplica of that i would buy that they should they should that's cute i seem to be buying all of the like i just seem to be buying the first season proplicas like i have the the moon wand i have her brooch and i have her transformation pen 
because they're expensive, so I can't buy all of them. <laughs> Overall, in the bigger picture, because I'm not back at it for a while, their relationship actually does turn out to be surprisingly healthy. <laughs> yeah, I think, honestly, they end up with one of the most, uh, Umino and Naru end up with one of the most healthy relationships in the series. Um, yes, that's, you could yeah, argue. <laughs> their relationship ends up being surprisingly healthy, given how unhealthy their previous his more obsessive obsessiveness with both more Usagi than not than the Naru, to be fair. He was more like using her as a means to get to Usagi. Um and her previous re- relationship with, with um with Netflix, right? Mm-hmm. So um you know being so unhealthy. So they actually end up with a with a surprisingly healthy one. And I think it's good for both of them. I think that maybe one of the reasons that Umino was being so darn creepy was because he didn't really have, I hate to say it this way, but like a focus or a direction. Like he didn't know where to, nobody was really paying attention to him. He was just the nerd. Um, And Naru is, was the closest, well, not the closest thing he had to a friend probably, but like a close friend. And it just kind of, he realized how important she was, which is sweet. Something like that, yeah. Uh, it's, you know, something along those lines. I mean, I think I think it it just it actually just gave yeah. him an actual healthy relationship instead of an obsession. Yeah, I, I feel like or explaining it that way just makes it sound even creepier. Um. Mm. <laughs> well, because before there, there, you know, it was just him obsessing about something he didn't have. Yeah, I mean. There's there's nothing uncreepy about it. <laughs> I know. I'm trying to make it sound. I, I I like them as a pairing, so that's why I'm trying to make it sound less creepy. <laughs> no, what what they end up having is actually, like I said, I, I do think it is it is actually a good healthy relationship. Yeah. Um, surprising surprisingly so. Yeah. Um, and I mean how they enter into it may have been a little dodgy, and that's <laughs> probably why it's so surprising. Yeah. Um, but you know, it is what it is. I mean, like, so, um, and let's see. Any other final notes? Yeah, that's what I was um, to. Um, I would say. I also would agree with the that as they reveal more of the crystals, everybody seems to to becoming more aware of themselves. Mm-hmm. And probably Mamoru. also as they're gathering more senshi together too, like for the girls, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Maybe spending time with each other is reminding them of, of, of themselves, of their previous selves. Oh, maybe. Cause it's that whole thing. Of, well, it's like they were Friends in their previous life, right, or in their previous, so that might be having an impact for them as well. Yeah, I'd like to think so. I mean, it's hard. I mean, Luna, Luna's kind of a wild card in the whole thing. I feel because she was sent there. And she's being directed, and 
I feel like her relationship to the others wasn't as close. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not saying that she didn't have a relationship with the others, but I don't think it was a close relationship. So I feel like with the others, um, like, She's kind with of them, like on a different level from well, them, right? Yeah. Luna's original role was as advisor to Queen Serenity. So, yeah. It's not like, like she was hanging out and being friends with them like they were. And that's yeah. what I mean. So I think she's, she's always been a bit of an outsider. And and so I think that that's her role with the group is a little bit. And that's why it's it's interesting when she tries to, to take a role and influence like where she, she's saying like, you know, maybe maybe Sailor Moon shouldn't be the leader. You know, it's like it's like, well, you know. I don't know if it should be you deciding that because that's not your role, right? Yeah. Um, but maybe yeah, she doesn't remember that. No, and, and obviously she doesn't. But mm. it's it's more like, uh, but it's curious that as as the chips fell, they kind of view her as having that kind of role, where it, it, you know, again having an advisory role when. Um, when, as, as we've kind of been saying, like, she doesn't necessarily have that position, even in this, in this, this new dynamic, like she, she seems to have acquired it, but it's not necessarily something that, um, that's there necessarily. Um, mm. Like, it, it's yeah. not. <laughs> well, like she has like how to her put it. role, like she's the first one to discover and she helps people discover who they are, right? That's pretty much her role right now. Um, yeah. and, and keeping all the weapons in her backflip, essentially. <laughs> keeping all the weapons <laughs> in her backflip. What? That's where they all come from. I know. I just yes. love the, I like that phrase. <laughs> That's it, her interdimensional backflip. Yeah. Her, her interdimensional backflip. Exactly. It's, like, yeah. it's just like pulling the weapons from Where the other dimension. Yeah. Like it's not in her yeah, back well, pocket. Because in, in a lot in, in a lot of ways she, she kind of feels like somebody's lackey, like somebody else's lackey. Um uh like somebody else's proxy, like she's she's somebody else's yeah. um and, and in in many ways that's what she is. For and sure. so when, when when they're having the discussion and she's offering her input into it, it's like, it does come across like as being a little bit like, I don't know if, if she should be involved in that. Um, yeah. and, and quite the opposite. She probably should have been involved in that. Um, you know, mostly because uh, among other things, it's like, um, you know, it's not her role. She shouldn't be the a person involved in deciding who the leader is. Um, I mean, without getting into the bigger role, you know, perspective of, because at that point they don't know that that uh, she's the, the the moon princess yet. They haven't discovered that little tidbit yet or anything like that. So, uh, I mean, in some ways, I it, but although having said that, I understand where they're coming from because in some ways. Usagi is a terrible leader, um, yeah. but she eventually um, so, grows. I, you know, into again, it. I, I, she grows into it, and and so I sympathize with them, 
So it's not that I don't have um, I don't have sympathy for their position where they're going. Like she, you know, that Usagi is a little directionless, and mm-hmm. that she has um, that she isn't necessarily focusing on them and their goals either because of her uh, mixed life lives. Because she's still, because in essence, they they're focusing on their lives with the other senshi, and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, they have to worry about school and and other things. But you know, she's still got a, a social life, you know, with with these other people that she's kind of still living that they're yeah. not, or seemingly seemingly not. Uh, I don't I don't know. I think every once in a while, other people, you know have other friends that show up. So I don't know if that's wholly true so much as we just, it gets emphasized with her. I think, yeah, um, we see more of Usagi more than, because she's the main character, right? So we get to see more of her yeah. life than we get to see of any of the other Sailor, Sailor Senshi. Yeah. They probably have like pretty so full th- lives as well. You know, as much as a 14 year old can, can have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think, I think it just, it gets emphasized with her more so than the other ones. So, I yeah you know, like so I, so I I do sympathize with them where they're looking at her and questioning whether or not like you know like why did she somehow become the leader by default you know because that's seemingly how it happened right yeah because she was uh, the first one that doesn't mean you should be the leader right but so I, think- I I can sympathize with their pers- perception of the facts as they have it at the time yeah. Yeah. And I think in the manga, uh, it's Venus who's the leader. Like, in the Moon Kingdom, yes. Venus was the leader because Sailor Moon didn't exist. And I think Venus in the manga becomes the leader, which makes a lot more sense. Like, if Sailor Moon is the Moon Princess, yes, she's fighting and she's she's being a senshi now, but it makes more sense to have Venus continue to be the leader once they find her. And it may be because she's the last one, they're just not sure what to do, but... right. She's the first slash last one. It's complicated. That's mm-hmm. yeah, it's complicated. Well, I, yeah, because she I, already exists by the time, like in the first episode, we just she's just not part of the group. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Because if, if it this, is, yeah, if it is Artemis giving her giving them instructions, she is kind of being the leader. Yeah, sort of. But yeah, I get that right. So he's leading. Well, he's just getting help from Luna. To kind well, of and and them together. you have to wonder. You have to wonder also if he's sharing more information with, with uh, with Venus. Than yeah, with with the with the other, because they're kind of like a duo when we, when yeah. we eventually get to see them, right? They've yes. had a partnership for a very long time. Yes, and they've been working together and functioning for far longer. Um, so you, you do have to wonder, like, if, if he is begrudgingly giving um, Luna, like, small tasks to keep her busy <laughs> while they Maybe. take on, you know, what they perceive as more important tasks, you know? It's quite possible. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I've never thought of it that way, but... Hmm. Well, you mean... To be fair, because it's like yeah, we don't see them, right? We don't see yeah. what's going on in Artemis, Artemis's them? conversations um, with Sailor V at this point, right? 
Well, and, and when they come and in in the TV know. show, they're like later characters. Yes. Well, and from the perspective of the other characters, you also have to wonder, like, you know, because you're you're they're distant. They're communicating via archaic machines, right? Right. Like, how far can I trust them to do the tasks that I'm that I'm telling them to do? Like, how capable exactly. are they? I don't know. I've it's never like met a these people. Mis- so. Mission, right? Yeah. This message will self-destruct. I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I think this is probably a good point to wrap up on our conversation for these two episodes. Um, unless you have any final thoughts you want to share? No, I think we've pretty much covered um, no. everything. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you very much for being on the podcast, Tara. And uh, we hope to no have you problems. back again. So yeah, I'll just, absolutely. Uh, Love to add some more when uh, when we get to see um, uh, Mashiru and Haruka. Yeah. Oh, they're the best. I love them so much. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'll just uh, wrap After, up. Uh, oh, go ahead. After. Um, um, Miko or Makoto that's probably my, my next or eh, I don't know it's 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 hard for me to say I have a specific sailor like um, you know essentially that's my favorite but um, I, I, if I had to re, if you push me to pick one it's probably Haruka um, that doesn't surprise me um, <laughs> yeah it's probably Haruka, and um, and and then, um, and then probably Mako or Makoto, mm-hmm. um, in that order. Although I like yeah. I, I like most of them for various different reasons because they all have like really good points, or maybe Sailor Star, um, because she's pretty fun. <laughs> Which ones are you broke up a bit? Sailor? Sailor Starfighter. Oh, yeah. Sailor Starfighter is fun. <laughs> yeah, because she's pretty fun. Um, Sailor Starfighter. I, I, I have a hard time picking, like, you know, because there's, there, there's a lot of really, there, there's a lot of really good characters, you know, in in there. And there's a lot of really good reasons to, to, to like some of them. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, I, I'd love to to comment on on Sailor Stars when you get you know when you get there. We'll see if we make it that far. <laughs> if you get there, if you get there, because that is my favorite season, hands down. Yeah, it's it's a good season. Um, all right, well, uh, that just leaves me to wrap up by saying you can find us on Instagram at Sailor Snacking. Uh, we are still piggybacking off of True North Nerds, the other podcast that I do with uh, Brent and Ryan and Kevin. So you can email us at truenorthnerds at gmail.com or you can find us on Facebook at True North Nerds. Um, and we also have a website which is truenorthnerds.com. So you can leave any input you want there as well. Uh, so yeah, just wanted to thank you all for listening and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Bye.